Hello everyone. Our guest for today is Kirtika Reddy. She's an Indian-American businesswoman of many firsts. The first employee of the social media giant Meta in India, MD Facebook India and South Asia, the first female investment partner at SoftBank Vision Fund, one of the largest tech funds in the world, the first South Asian to chair Stanford Business School Management Board. She's been on several public, private company and educational and non-profit boards including being the first female board member of the WeWork board. She's currently the co-founder and CEO of a high-growth venture-backed firm, uh, Web3 startup Virtualness, whose roster of investors include all the prominent angels as well as big VC firms. She's also a co-founder at Ladder, a social impact initiative focused on changing the landscape for working women and stepping up the career of 10 million moms. Kirtika has been recognized as Fast Company's most creative people in business. She's also been on the Fortune India's most powerful women amongst so many other recognitions. Hi, Kritika, A very warm welcome to Elda's podcast series. I'm really excited about our conversation. Like I said, I'm a fangirl. I've been following you for the last 10, 12 years from an ISB student waiting to see Kritika Reddy, you know, the MD of Facebook India, to today when I've seen your journey from, you know, being a corporate leader to an investor and now a founder yourself. I'm also personally inspired because I know how warm and empathetic to, you have been towards all the women. So very warm welcome and I'm super excited to be hosting you. Swati, it is so exciting to be here. I will tell you that the feeling is mutual. I remember the sense of excitement as I went to ISB and met with the most incredible students and to see your journey and those of many others from those classes and your journey in particular to now being a founder, having <laughs> this conversation is very inspiring. Thank you, thank you. So Kritika, we're gonna spend the next 30 minutes understanding and knowing Kritika a little better. We've all seen your success, we've been inspired, but we want to know what has your journey been, your obstacles, your challenges, the opportunities you made out of that. So I'm going to start with this very interesting question. I'm sure there have been many moments in your life that have probably, you know, made you change directions, head towards where you are today. But if I were to ask you one defining moment in your life, what would that be? So there's so many defining moments, but uh, they say that sometimes your childhood really shapes you. So when you asked me this question, I was actually taken back to my childhood days. And in particular, I was uh, making my decision of uh, going to engineering for my undergraduate. We were, my family was in Nandir at that point. I don't even know whether you know where Nandir is. It's in Maharashtra and it's known for, I think the second biggest Gurudwara in the country. Um, I was applying for engineering and my parents said, okay, as long as there's an engineering college in the neighborhood, you're a daughter, that's where you would go to, okay? And it turns out that I was not 
eligible to apply for the government college uh, because we hadn't stayed there. I moved every three years growing up. Um, <clears throat> and we only discovered that, by the way, at the time that I was applying, which meant that there was only one private college that I was eligible for. And so at that time when I cried and I said, you know, why can't I apply to other places? My father said, Kirtika, you know, you can go to the most amazing institution and do nothing with that opportunity, or you can make the most of the opportunity given to you. Wow. And sure enough, Swati, you know, four years later, I graduated with the second rank in the university, which included the government colleges that I wasn't eligible to apply to. Um, and in that moment, you know, my father's advice just steeped in. And it's something that I've thought of all the time is how was it that you can make the most of the cards played to you, make the most of the opportunities in front of you, as well as how is it that you can create those opportunities as well. So that's been a key mantra um, that has been a big part of who I am. Um, and he actually, um, almost coincidentally and almost meaningfully, he passed away a few years ago on International Women's Day. And I always felt that it was, it was almost very apt given what a champion he was of his two girls and women, um, that that was a day um, that uh, he chose to pass. Oh, lovely. Kritika, I think, you know, I've spoken to so many uh, women and men who've sort of gone through so many uh, ups and downs in their lives. I feel like somewhere the root is in your upbringing, like you rightly said. And um, while many of us have heard these from others and our own family members, I think what I like about what you just mentioned is that you've taken that one mantra across the board, you know, throughout your life. And we've seen how you've converted every challenge probably into an opportunity. You know, I, actually, I'll tell you that in this particular case, I went to this really small engineering college. My first year, we didn't even have a building. Hmm. Our first year was in the building of a high school. And now they have a big building of their own. But... I got so much attention and so much mm. personalized uh, uh, coaching and training that I think that that was a big part. It was because of that small school environment that I then went on to get the second rank in the university. And I don't think oh. I would have maybe achieved the same thing in one of my other places. So it was almost that circumstance that gave me that uh, that uh, leg up and it was it was genuinely the first moment where I felt mm. that I got in touch with my potential mm. and I felt that oh really I was the most surprised when I stood second in the university <laughs> more than anyone I said mm. oh you know I can aspire to a lot in life yeah I'm sure and I'm sure your dad always knew that you have that potential and hence those you know that piece of advice which really changed the way you, lo you looked at things Kritika yeah. I've I, whatever I have seen, you know, I uh, I have learned from you about how you've been such a strong advocate for women. And quite honestly, before I started Elder Health, you know, a few of you, uh, you, Anjali, Rohini, I have always been people I've looked up and said, you know what, if I'm doing something, of course, it needs to make business sense, but it also needs to have a huge impact on what I believe is my purpose. And I've seen you through, you know, years now. Um, You've always been a very strong advocate for women. If you can share a couple of, um, you know, some piece of advice for all these women who are listening to you, 
how can one build their self-confidence? How can one be less critical about themselves? Like you said, you couldn't believe that you would be the you know, second rank holder in the uh, university exams. How have you become what you are today? Like the journey from not being confident, self-doubt, to really being very comfortable in your own skin? Uh, I think I'll go to the other uh, parent. I'll start with my mother there. My mother, Swati, did not have the opportunity to finish her high school education because her parents said, you only need enough math to do the grocery bill. Okay. Oh my. <laughs> and so then to go from that point to seeing the change in one generation where, um, uh, you know, earlier last year, I was part of the first all-female, all-immigrant management team to ring the NYSE SPAC IPO bell. And my mother um, joined us over Zoom. And there she was, someone who had been denied the opportunity of education at New York Stock Exchange with her daughter and with her granddaughter. So my two <laughs> girls were with me on the podium ringing the New York Stock Exchange bell. And it was the proudest, uh, one of the proudest moments of my life. Swati. And so, you know, that transition serves as a huge base of inspiration for me. Um, right. And, you know, her journey and the opportunities that I then got, it also creates a huge sense of responsibility of paying it forward uh, and making sure that we're all leaving this world that much of a better place as I see it in the last generation. So that has been at the core of um, uh, a lot of what I do. And certainly when you wrote to me and you told me about this podcast, the answer was always, yes, let's figure out <laughs> the right time to do it. Um, because I'm just so grateful for the opportunities and I have that sense of, uh, we need to make that place better. So that's one. And two, as far as the self-doubt piece, you know, I would say it's still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, I remember this beautiful story that Shamal Vallabhji, who's a performance coach, a performance psychologist, and someone who's been just extraordinarily um, valuable um, in his counsel for me, he shared the story where he said, listen, let's say you're in a coffee shop hmm. and you see this like really um, you know, peaceful looking woman. She's sitting, having her cup of coffee and uh, someone walks up to her and just starts yelling at her hmm. and says, like, have you looked at yourself this morning? Like, look at how you look and look at how you're slouching. And is this really what you should wear? Um, what would your reaction be? So let's, Swati, I'd love to get your reaction. If you were in a coffee shop, there was this like woman very peacefully sitting, reading a book, having a cup of coffee, and you see this someone else being completely abusive um, to this woman, what would your reaction be? I think I'd automatically judge the person who's delivering that nasty message because uh, I'm able to see that woman, I'm able to see her through my lens. I'd probably question the lens of the person who's saying it. Yeah. And what would you feel? Anger. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, he said, this is what your inner voice does to you all the time. Hmm. Okay? Wow. It's telling you, you're not doing this right. You know, um, what are you wearing? How are you looking? Why did you not say this this perfectly in that meeting and if you have that reaction to someone else whom you don't even know hmm. that you're just watching as an observer 
like why wouldn't you give yourself that grace and why wouldn't be kind to yourself right Beautiful. so, so Beautiful. think about that hmm. think about that and uh, be kind to yourself uh, and genuinely it's something i have to tell myself all the time too i'm sure i leave this podcast saying ah oh, i wish i had made this <laughs> point i wish i had done this differently but then to give myself that grace that says yeah there will always be opportunities for doing things differently better i'm just going to learn from it and be able to apply it the next time around um so i i would say it's it's work in progress Beautiful. be kind to ourselves um and uh, as they say you know working on all of these aspects um is one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves uh, as we progress in our journey swati such a beautiful thought kritika i'm going to i'm going to implement it on myself because yeah. every time now i'm self critical i'm going to imagine that picture in my mind of a cafe <laughs> you know where there there is a conversation between the two and i loved what you said we're all uh, at the end of the day work in progress you know how better can we be tomorrow than we are today but in that journey of trying to be better not enjoying how far we've come you know even as uh, human beings even small little things so celebrating little victories like i do with the kids you know the, they started writing a new word we're able to do a good painting i think we should be that way with ourselves too when we can do it with others why not with us and this is a very strong message that you've shared with the lakhs of women that we interact with and they're all typically in their midlifes late 30s 40s 50s when children are leaving home you know when our body is changing we're not looking like we were in our 20s and early 30s we're also probably at uh, the peak of our careers uh, we have aging parents to look after we have young kids or teenage kids who you know are going to graduate and going to leave home very soon so there's so much that is happening and i have personally heard and been inspired by things that you have said right which is support of the partner you know support of the family support of the ecosystem you and i probably have been fortunate to have that support but uh, any counsel for people who ha- who don't and how can they nurture that support from whatever they have yeah well three quick things one you said we are all probably at you know the peak of our careers i will tell you you know one longevity is increasing we will mm. all live to be 80 90 100 and beyond i do not think that my peak is behind me <laughs> i think my peak is in front of me my best is oh. yet to come i don't know about anybody else my best is yet to come but Lovely. that honestly genuinely the message that i have for everyone listening uh, so that's one um uh, two um you know um it really i i have different learnings based on the phase of life that you're in okay number one if you're in that phase of life where uh, you are single and thinking of a partner by the way one is not necessary to have a partner if mm. you want if you don't want to have a partner no need to have a partner mm. if you want to have, but if you want to have a partner mm. remember that um the best career decision you will make is the partner that you choose you know Absolutely. i wouldn't be here if not for the support of my husband who's been more than the 50 50 parent and who has encouraged me and believed in me almost more than i believe in myself so i think that's one two um as you get to the stage where you're thinking that you want to have children by the way that again is a choice let's right. not think of this as a natural that's what everyone needs to do but if you decide that you want to have children 
um, I remember that first I wasn't ready. And then when I was ready, I postponed it for the smallest reason. <laughs> I have to go to this wedding. I can't be pregnant. I have to go to this conference. Of course, I can't be pregnant. And then when we were ready, we realized that you don't just get pregnant just because you are ready. Hmm. And it took us several years and um, uh, infertility treatments. And both my girls are IVF girls. So I feel very grateful for technology, for the gift of motherhood. And my lesson from that is one, you know, there will never be a perfect time to have children, which also means that the corollary is if you feel this is something you want to do, it is always the right time. And you just, you know, have children and nature conspires to support you in, mm. uh, in that ambition. And my third um, lesson takeaway, and it's a superpower that I want to give this audience, which is the superpower of the and versus the tyranny of the or. There are many times where things are presented as a choice. And I vividly remember when I had my second child, I had my first child, by the way, a year into business school. Uh, and I actually partied more after she was born than before. <laughs> because she was awake at one, two, mm -hmm. I said I might as well party and I took her with me. She still can sleep with really loud noise around her. And I credit it to those early days where I took her to all of those events. Uh, but when I had my second child, I was in product management and mm. I needed to travel. California had a six-week maternity policy uh, after which I had to come back um, to work. And thank God my mother was there to support me through that. Uh, but I remember having sleepless nights that says, I need to travel for my work. It's very important for me to nurse my child as I did for the first full year, mm. as I did for the, for the first one, which also is a personal choice. Everyone should do whatever is right for them but it was just important for me. And I kept thinking, oh my God, is this a time people talk about where one has to make a decision between personal goals and professional goals? And it occurred to me one day that I don't have to. So for the first year, I actually traveled with her. Hmm. Uh, of course, I delegated a lot of travel, um, but uh, when I needed to, I took her with me and every place I went, something happened that you know, someone had a daycare center where they found a child for my spot for my child so I could nurse, go to my meetings, come back. Something happened in every place and nature truly conspires to support us. So my message there, by the way, is not to, for people to make the choices I did. Hmm. But my message is that there are many times that things will be presented as do this or that. Hmm. And not always, but more often than not, if you actually think about are there ways to do both, solutions emerge that actually let you do both. And I've used that principle to the hilt in my professional life and in my personal life, uh, Swati. So those are my three messages. Um, pick the right partner. If your partner's eyes don't light up when you talk about your career ambitions, <laughs> then you might want to keep looking. Um, that if you want to have children, when you're ready, it's always the right, right time. Uh, and think about the superpower of the end. Beautiful, Kritika. I'm going to use this part of the conversation and actually coach the 55,000 women that we have in our you know, journey today because these are the questions that we ask ourselves at every moment. And quite honestly, the power of and versus or, I think it's, it's strong because many times in our lives, we're trying to choose between this and that. And another mentor, you know, you know Rohini, but she would always say, prioritize every second, every minute. So today, if your child's not well, she's your priority. 
you know mm-hmm. today if you have a board meeting and everyone else in the family is okay they don't need you you're just that board member you're just that ceo so it makes this uh, it reduces the intensity of the problem if you're able to sort of prioritize and if you're able to believe that the solution can be an and and it doesn't mean we need to let go of things we love because they are different aspects of our lives no so. totally and um, mm-hmm. you know as i mentioned i've used the power of the and extensively hmm. uh, volunteering was a very important part is a very important part of my life was a very important part when my second child was born you know one child or the other they were 3 years apart would always be sick right mm. so it was very it was impossible to commit to a regular volunteering schedule and then as i was expressing this to one of my friends she pointed me to an organization uh in california called hands on bay area where you could sign up on the go like 2 hours here 2 hours there whenever you have the time mm. and actually had opportunities where i could go with my children So since the time Arya was probably three months old, hmm. like both the kids have volunteered with me, and they've been to like, soup kitchens, English as a second language. So this is what they've just known growing up that we volunteer as a family, um, and I think it does a world of good. So another illustration of the power of the end. And for sure, I think your kids are so fortunate to be growing up with that growth mindset. you know of adding things to make the world a better and bigger place um i during our growing up ages kirtika i feel you know we were we had very few choices you can either be an engineer or you do medicine i think the younger kids now have a lot more options and with parents like you all you know the horizon is much wider much bigger uh, yeah well the, my older child is a, now a sophomore she does mm-hmm. uh, design is her major and she's a um sophomore at Rhode Island School of Design wow. the younger one is a senior just finishing a high school and she wants to take a one year gap year hmm. and she earn for herself pay for herself but she's going to spend 6 months in Ireland making guitars 3 <laughs> months in a spanish speaking country so it's it's just incredible to see Absolutely, um, the options, the next and, generation. And you seem to have sort of, uh, you know, foretaken all the gender biases here because I believe you were two sisters. Now you have two daughters, so <laughs> that's probably where the passion for women empowerment comes from. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, again, it's about leaving things that much better for the next generation, for sure. My daughters, for sure. Kritika I want to ask you something that is typically not spoken about you know very hush hush so we work in the space of menopause and midlife when we started elda we were even concerned whether we should use that word because you know even uh, someone who's menopausal that's not had their periods for a year doesn't want to believe that men they are menopausal because in many cultures with women ageism is not related to wisdom you know we foresee it as a lack of uh, youth um you see men with uh, salt and pepper hair they look great but women you know we're always trying to sort of figure how can we represent ourselves better at uh, places and i think it's a cultural bias for years together so when we started elda we wanted to see how we can break those taboos and myths about menopause now i have spoken to you even before we started the company to take your counsel if you remember you know several years ago yeah, and you were one of the few women leaders who were so vocal about this you know you said 
uh, I still remember the words, but uh, the theme was that you need to own it. And like you said, our careers have just begun. There's so much more to do. What do you think uh, we as a society can do to break these myths, break those taboos about aging, about menopause, especially with women? It is such a real challenge, Swati. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, it's around menopause and you know, like even like talking of things like infertility treatment, right? Uh, people don't talk about it. Um, right. Um, growing up, actually no one told me about my whole menstrual cycle. Okay. Hmm. And I started getting, I, I started getting my periods really young. I think I was in my third grade. I think I was nine years old when I started oh my, my cycle. So maybe because of that, no one had thought to talk about it. Hmm. But even after I got my periods, no one talked to me about it. So, and you know, in our, um, where I come from, they do this big ceremony when you <laughs> attain puberty. So I was quite puzzled. What was this going on? And why am I bleeding? And and then suddenly one day it stopped. I said, mm. okay, it's gone. And then next month it came back again. So literally no one talked to me about it. And I almost had to figure it out that, oh, this is going to come and go and come and My go. God. Right? And I think that's staggering. And those mm. were the days where we didn't have the internet. Today we have the internet. But still the level of awareness about things like menopause is really low and right. I was the first to admit when I spoke to you that I don't think like even um, someone like myself who is at the cutting edge of technology right. uh, in a developed country know those answers right. and we are not trained we don't talk about it um, so I really applaud what you are doing and what companies like yours are doing um, to break those taboos, have those conversations, you know, get uh, get people, get the word out, including through this amazing podcast that you're doing. Um, and anything that we can do at the different levels, right? Um, where is it? How do you intervene with the medical mm -hmm. system uh, and make that a regular part of the conversation? Are there company level interventions where you know that becomes a topic of conversation how are you using media you know media right. is a very powerful um, amplification mechanism you know how do we do that how do we create communities around these things hmm. you know there's lean in circles 81000 lean in circles across the globe can we add that into you know that programming instrumentation i'm the co-founder of a company called Ladder that's focused on decreasing the steep mid-career drop-off and our goal is to step up the careers of 10 million moms across the globe, right? So we think a lot of career level education and the work-life uh, integration, how is it that we can educate people? And this is, you know, a very strong pillar alongside that. And right. there are studies after studies. Um, I think there's a study that said like one in four women in the UK drop out because of menopause related issues and right. sometimes they don't even know that it was curable so this is a economic issue a societal issue and an individual issue and anything that we can do here is so important kudos to you and your leadership uh, and to elders leadership 
Thank you so much, Kirtika. Whatever you've mentioned is honestly something we should all already be doing, right? Like, for example, doctors are not taught about menopause during their MBBS. Um, in our country, we have very few menopause specialists. Globally, there are few institutions that are now beginning to, you know, focus on menopause. We do a number of corporate events. We work with around 22 companies to educate their uh, women as well as men employees about women's health, menopause and so on. But the conversation also begins at home. I am amazed at how you were able to manage your entire puberty or at least the first few important months by yourself. Uh, but not all of us have that strength. You know, coincidentally... I was brought in, uh, born and brought up in a gynecologist family. My dad's uh, an army gynecologist. So conversations about puberty and pregnancy were very, very common. They were like coffee table conversations. But when my mom was going through menopause, none of us knew about it. And I'd wonder why she suddenly changed and became what she was. So having these conversations at workplace, like you said, or even talking about it at home, I think can really make a difference. Please do spread the word. And I love how candid you are, how confident you are, you know, in, in the way um, you can actually tell people about your experiences. Because by talking about IVF, by talking about your first period experience, I'm sure lakhs of women who are looking at you are either learning to be more confident or at least sharing that with their daughters. So thank you so much, Kritika, for sharing these really intimate conversations. Really grateful. No, totally. And by the way, when people ask me, how do you do what you do? Hmm. I say it's also because I have like a whole set of people helping me in hmm. that I have a career coach who's there. I mean, I see a therapist. I don't, I used to have the point of view that if you don't have good friends, that's when you need a therapist. Oh no. And I have since, of course, completely changed my worldview. Right. You know, they're there for a reason. They're trained. Absolutely. They've seen this across you know, multiple scenarios, uh, they can offer you unbiased advice. Um, and so, you know, they have been, and it's, it's, it's to me very basic. If I can get help from anyone to make myself better, stronger, why, why would not? I not do that, right? And I talk about therapy in regular conversations like this. Mm. I'll talk about how, you know, my yard, my backyard, we went through like a big, um, during COVID where there was no one coming, and so I'll, I'll talk about it in normal conversation that says, you know, my backyard made it into my therapist conversations <laughs> and the challenge that I was having. We really just have to normalize all of these conversations um, and make it such that you know, people talk about, I'm taking a day off to go to see mm -hmm. my guy, my doctor. They should be able to talk about, yeah, you know, today I had a therapist appointment. That's right. So we really need to normalize all of these conversations and kudos to you for your leadership in driving this. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kirtika, for this lovely conversation. I have learned so much personally myself. And what I'm will gonna, you remember? What will you take away? I have many things to take away. But I'll tell you, you know, a couple of things that I think I'll, I'll go to sleep with today. First, okay. is, first is to make the best of every opportunity that's, you know, presented to you. I think you're, you're a great example. But I've also seen other examples at home around me where I've seen simple things turned into opportunities by people of different levels. Like my maid, for example, you know, she's someone from Bangladesh, struggled for years together, decided to step out of the house to fend for her family. And I don't see her 
uh, cribbing or complaining at any point in time. And it gives me so much strength. I'm inspired by her. But to see this across um, and coming from someone like you, I think I, I would really imbibe that. The second one would be what you said, right? You're ready when you're ready. And uh, there is no point, uh, you know, sort of postponing or pushing things. I think it's not just with pregnancy, but it's with every opportunity that comes to you, everything that you want to do. But before we conclude, I have a rapid fire uh, session for you. Um, okay. And uh, please, please tell me whatever comes to mind the first thing, right? I'd love to hear that. If menopause was a character in a movie, what would, be that? What would that be for you? Oh, my God. <clears throat> What would it be for you? I'm curious. Uh, actually, character or otherwise, even if it was a personality, even if it was an identity. For example, I would say, um, you know, somebody had said this and it just sort of stuck to my head. Uh, mask, the mask movie, there is this mask that you put and the mm -hmm. person really completely changes, right? So I feel like menopause is that mask. You know, it you there's so much to strengthen you but it's always there so um there are menopositive things that you can look at but there are also things that make you a different person at that time and you need to center yourself so yeah got it got it you know what comes to my mind hmm. isn't there you get this best um role award for being like the supporting character <laughs> uh, so uh, I think that's what comes to mind oh, because it's not part of your main uh, personality or your main um, mm. trajectory, mm. but it is a supporting character that defines and shapes you in different ways. Um, so that's what lovely. That's the type of character that menopause. Lovely, be. lovely. I, I hadn't thought of it this way, but yeah, it is. Menopause is a supporting character throughout for three to ten years or even more. So, Kritika, yeah. if there was one word that you would use to describe yourself, just one word, what would that be? I can't do one. I'll do three. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm a technologist, an optimist, and an adventurer. Wow, beautiful. And if you had just five pieces of advice, I know you've given us many, but if you had to summarize everything for our audience, five things that you think they should do to live a fulfilling life, what would that be? Um, one almost cliche, but dream big. Hmm. If your dreams don't scare you, you're not living up to your potential. Okay, so that's one. Two is uh, be kind. Hmm. And we all think a lot about being kind to others, but also think about being kind to yourself. You know, it's the typical, when you're in an airplane, put make sure that you put your mask on before you help others. So make sure that that's there. And self-care is... Um, something that we don't spend enough time on as women. Uh, it's just important uh, to do that. Everyone will be happier. Three is uh, surround yourself with people who believe in you almost more than you believe in yourself uh, and really be intentional about investing in that community. Um, four, I would say, um, is build and invest in community. Mm -hmm. So um, I think one, there's people uh, who believe in you, but there's also investing in community. You know, there's a community of lakhs of women that you uh, reach out to. How is it that we can foster community? And community in different ways has been mm -hmm. really important part of my journey um, in different ways. Um, I'm remembering 
when my girls went to school in India, I traveled so much. There were a fam five families who were my family away from family. And I could not have gone through my journey of life without those five families. And we continue to be very close, right? So really invest in community uh, in different stages. And my last one, you know, we all live life once. So make sure you really make the most of every moment. Have fun. Don't forget to celebrate um, and really cherish all of those uh, moments uh, along the way. So those are my five. Thank you so much, Kirtika. I must say this was probably the most candid and open conversation I've had with all my speakers. I absolutely loved it. I'm definitely going to pull you in on several, several conversations going forward. But thank you so much for your time. And I hope uh, you enjoyed, uh, you know, speaking about your personal experiences as well as inspiring the others. No, totally. I don't think I've shared the story of my journey of puberty in any other <laughs> conversation. But um, it was, as you said, it's, it's your skill as well to really uh, reach into the different parts of the individual. So thank you for this conversation and thank you for what you do and all of your leadership. Thanks, Kirtika.